Welcome to the Plans and Provisions Podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness information and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. In my family's quest for food security and health, we have often considered raising meat rabbits as a solution to the problems of meat price, quality, and availability. Since moving on to our new homestead late last year, we have begun the process of starting our own rabbitry by building infrastructure and acquiring our own starter breeding stock. While researching how to get started on the right foot, we found Bobby Jimenez through his YouTube channel called The Rabbitry Center. His videos have helped steer us in the right direction and have been a valuable resource for us during the early stages of our meat rabbit journey. In our discussion, we learn about the many benefits of raising meat rabbits, and he gets into some of the more challenging aspects of running a rabbitry. We talk about some considerations for breeding and management, as well as go in-depth about the possibilities of raising rabbits for meat in a world where bagged feed may not always be available. Hey, Bobby. Thanks for joining me for the podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So I found you on YouTube. We um, was saying before we hit record, we just moved out to our little property out in the Ozarks, and we, we've been wanting to get into rabbits for quite some time. And I actually just built two hutches. One's a double hutch and then a single for one of my bucks but just like completely green when it comes to raising rabbits and um, definitely have a lot to learn. But um, in that process, I found you on YouTube and um, yeah, you've got a great channel. I've learned a ton. Um, definitely a lot goes way over my head, but um, but definitely a lot that um, I'm learning a lot from. So I appreciate that. I, I guess to get started, I just, you know, you clearly know a ton about rabbits. Um, seems like you've been doing it for a really long time. I wonder if you could just kind of describe what your current setup looks like. Yeah, uh, well, our system isn't really the traditional system. Um, you know, you you have two different real. There's pretty much two setups: colony and cages. And uh, we actually have a hybrid system, and we have cages that are built from a, a wood framing. And then we have tunnels that go down the back into a a run, a tote run system. So they're able to have a little bit more room. It helps us kindle in the hottest times of the year, the coldest times of the year. And it's, it's a little different. So a lot of times when people come across our channel, they're like, what the heck is this? So I try to answer as many questions as I can trying to explain it. I'll launch videos. And from time to time, that's where I get the inspiration to, to make my next YouTube video. Just trying to explain what our system is. Right. And I noticed that too. And I was going to ask, um, you know, in my search, I haven't seen anything like what you do. And um, I was watching one video recently where I think when you got started, you wanted to do the colony style. And I know a lot of people like that idea. And, you know, I certainly can see kind of the free range, you know, option seeming like a more humane or more, you know, beneficial for the animal. But um, there's certainly you, you laid out what the benefits and, and, and disadvantages are to that. But um, so is that an idea that you came up with yourself or did you find that kind of hybrid setup somewhere else? 
Yeah, I I wish I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. I years ago I seen an old, roughly sketched uh, picture online. I don't re- even remember where I seen it. I think I was just Google searching, and it was a picture of a European rabbitry, and it showed a tunnel that went out the back into a hill. It was a rabbitry that was built, a hutch that was built right up to a hill. And they tunneled into this hill for insulation. And I immediately got an idea. Well, heck, why don't I create some sort of system that offers those same kind of uh, the the same thing where you can escape the elements. And so that's how we came up with our tote system surrounded by dirt and snow. So the totes are, they're kind of earth sheltered a little bit. Am I right? They're dug in a little? They, they are. And it's, you know, all our totes are kind of set up a little different. And it just depends on where we're at because our, our rabbitry has, it goes, uh, you know, I think it's 12 cages long, but then it has to, you know, we have all these black locust trees that we have to kind of work our way around all these different obstacles. So we'll have runs going this way and that way. And we're not able to really bury all our totes in the same conditions, but we do make sure they're all surrounded with dirt because that's what makes them, that's what keeps them warm and uh, cold in the heat. So Bobby, I wanted to ask you, you know, just to kind of get a picture of, of what you've got going on there and, and, and just so folks can, kind of understand a little bit of perspective on things um you know at your level like how many rabbits do you like how many rabbits do you actually have how many breeding pairs and i mean how many like what are you producing every year with what you've got on hand well we we've run new zealand's and californians for the last couple years but in this area we just recently went back to just new zealand's because for whatever reason even though california rabbits are a terrific producer uh they just for whatever reason don't don't sell in this area as much as the new zealands do so what we did was we um we just recently lost uh, a new zealand buck i'm sorry a california buck and so we won't be able to pr- provide the purebred californians anymore and what we dedicated our california dough we sold one dough and then we we dedicated one california dough to just our production for our family. Recently, my oldest son uh, moved out and now my youngest son, Brandon, uh, my oldest son, Cameron moved out last year. And now my youngest son, Brandon is going to be moving out uh, next week. So now, you know, when you're feeding a family of four or five, uh, you you probably want to sit down with at least two rabbits. You want to process two rabbits for that meal. But now with my wife and I, we're really going to be able to process half as many rabbits now. So we're just going to dedicate one California rabbit, uh, one doe, and then we're going to crossbreed for hybrid vigor with one of our New Zealand bucks. That's going to put comfortably 50 rabbits uh, you know, in our freezer for us, as well as some New Zealand, some stragglers, and event being that they have any nesting box or nest eye or something like that infections, or maybe they just get canceled uh, reservations that get canceled. We'll process those as well. But what we run and, pr- and provide for breeding stock in our area is four unrelated bloodlines of New Zealand rabbits, red, blue, white. And then we, we have red eyed white, the traditional red eyed white rabbits, but we sell more blue eyed white New Zealand's 
And we also have one agouti, a chestnut agouti bloodline that we just incorporated when we lost the Californians. So that's four unrelated bloodlines. And it helps folks when they're starting out, they want to have breeding stock. They want to sell unrelated breeding stock as well as uh, line breed. And when you're you know, line breeding, you want to start with unrelated rabbits if you can. And uh, so that's, that's why we provide that. So I, I guess a couple of questions that come up. One is, so from the one California doe, you're getting somewhere around 50 rabbits. Is that per year for the freezer? Well, yeah, we, we get comfortably, uh, you know, over a hundred pounds of rabbit meat. And because it's, you know, when you're, when you're breeding these rabbits, uh, even one rabbit for a family is going to, if you're going to breed intensely, you can get up to five, six, even more litters a year. And if you were to take one rabbit, uh, just hypothetical, uh, you know, on average, eight rabbits in a litter, and you're getting five litters a year, that's 40 rabbits averaging at least three pounds, you know, that's 120 pounds right there. And also, uh, you know, sometimes we have New Zealand's as well. So, and you know, as well as I do that when you're breeding rabbits, the litters can, the, they start small, but towards the end, uh, once you get a rabbit going, those litters get closer to 10, 12, even higher numbers. So you're really, I mean, they are t- terrific providers where uh, it's amazing. It's hard to believe that these little rabbits are producing just as much meat as if you were to go out and harvest two or three deer. So uh, right. they're, they're yeah. just terrific producers. And I think that, I mean, I know a lot of people are moving towards rabbits and um, I'm certainly one of them. And, and it's for that reason. I mean, you know, just the ability to produce that kind of meat and do it in a small space. Um, one question I did have um, in that, and you kind of mentioned a little bit about breeding and line breeding. And I know there's some, some confusion and probably some misconceptions um, as to like what, what's okay as far as um, breeding in breeding. Like what are, what are some like basic pointers and standards for that? Uh, well, you know, line breeding is a planned out, a breeding program that in, that involves inbreeding, you know, breeding a, a bloodline. And what you're doing is you're uh, you're going to have good rabbits and you're going to have bad rabbits. And whenever you start to have, uh, you know, because you possibly could inbreed to the point where you need to introduce new blood. And an indicator is like if you, if you don't have healthy rabbits or if your rabbits are, you know, say you're losing rabbits or that sort of thing, then that means it's time to outcross uh, with new with a new bl- rabbit or new, some new blood, introduce some new blood into the bloodline. But when you, when you do that, when say if you breed a mother to a son or a father to a daughter, you're when it's, it's called um, those, those two genes, those two alleles, you're, you're going to get terrific rabbits and there may be some rabbits that you don't necessarily want in your bloodline. So those are, those are terrific candidates for your freezer. So what you want to do is you're trying to lock in these traits. So uh, when they're kicking out, because it's a crapshoot, you know, when, when you breed a, a doe and a buck, the offspring is going to get one of those genes, they're one of the two genes that the father and the mother have. 
So if you can actually lock up those traits where both genes are, say, kicking out the, the characteristics that you want, um, that, that is really what line breeding is. You're trying to improve your rabbits, improve your, your offspring. And it's just a big misconception that, that people don't understand because they're looking at the negatives. They're like, well, that means that, you know, things could go bad. Well, in a, in a sense, but you're really trying to improve the line. And whatever goes bad, you can always process your mistakes. That's what's so great about line breeding. Yeah, no, that, that's, um, that makes a lot of sense. I just know there's a lot of stigma with inbreeding. As humans, it's you know, um, it's definitely frowned upon. Um, definitely not good yeah. for, for for us. But um, so I, I know in talking to other people and even my myself, I've had some kind of questions about that. So for someone that's just getting started in raising rabbits for meat, um, you know, just to clarify on the breeding element, if I go and I find you know um, a brother and two sisters, and that's going to be my breeding pair to start. Is there is that an acceptable practice? You know, what are some caveats to that or, or, or should that be avoided? You know, if you're filling the freezer, uh, you absolutely can breed siblings. They're going to make terrific rabbits. They're going to come out looking beautiful in most cases. Ninety nine percent of the time you're you're you know, it's, it's but you want when you're running a rabbitry and if you're if you're selling rabbits, it's different. But if you're providing and filling the freezer, absolutely. That's that's a system that's totally going to work. But, um, you know, just when when you're selling rabbits, though, if you were to sell them, I would recommend trying to go with unrelated rabbits only because folks are looking for that. And because in most cases, they're not uh, they're not aware or educated in line breeding or that it's not necessarily damaging to your rabbits but they just want to start, or maybe they want to entertain line breeding down the line. And when you're starting with line breeding, you want to try to start with the, the most unrelated rabbits you can, but absolutely. If you're breeding a uh, brother, I mean, lots of folks come and, and they don't care. They'll, they'll even, they'll even tell me, just give me a brother and sister. I'm, I know about rabbits. I understand um, it. They don't have to be unrelated and that sort of thing because they know it works. So you mentioned providing breeding stock to your community do you do you have a pretty good market to sell rabbits there yeah uh well for the most part in the beginning and this is pretty much with all rabbitries i've noticed only because a a lot of people call in they email uh they text and i'm communicating every day with with folks all over the country um and even emailing all over the world and i can't it's tough to answer everybody but i try my best and it's it's really interesting to hear about their uh, you know their successes and their their troubles. Their um, everybody has trouble selling rabbits in the beginning. Marketing is something you get better at, and I, I'm probably telling you something you already know. It's that goes with everything, and with rabbits, it really does. I recommend it to everybody. Find some sort of social media platform that you can showcase your rabbits. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is; they're all good. They all have their strengths. And it's it's a little exhausting at first, and you got to kind of budget your time in order to uh, to do that. But what a great way to sell your rabbits and and get your name out there. And it's it's one thing just to put a sign out front, but it's another to have a way where if somebody calls or asks, or even if you just you know word of mouth, you can say, hey, here, check this out. If you want more information, um, it's it's a great tool, and you're you're gonna you're gonna notice the more you do that the more you'll get back, the more you'll be able to sell your rabbits. And it will get to the point, it won't take more than a couple of years if you 
if you keep at it, you'll get to the point where you don't even have to put ads out anymore. The, the calls will just keep coming in because it's important to, even though you may not even have rabbits available, be sure to always take calls, always take reservations because you want to, these rabbits will pay for themselves and you want to make sure that when, you know, you're putting money into this, you want to make sure that you're selling rabbits. So it's all paid for your feed, your cage supplies, everything. So you, you sell enough rabbits to pay for the whole operation. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yep. We absolutely sell. And in the beginning it was just, it was just the meat production and, and it always will be uh, because that's always been first priority for, for the family, um, you know, or high quality meat. And, but what happened was we sold a rabbit to our neighbor and then we sold a rabbit to another neighbor. And then we sold one to a, a guy at work and it just took off from there. And especially after we started our, we started our YouTube videos, um, which I just have a lot of fun sharing. I'm not a typical YouTuber or anything. And I know I, I don't um, try to claim that I'm an expert or any of that. I'm always learning about rabbits. And there's a lot of people out there that have so much knowledge about rabbits. Uh, but I just try to share what I'm doing and whatever I found that, that helps me raise these rabbits, keep them alive. And at the same time, I really enjoy trying to help folks sell their rabbits because that's what it's all about. Sust- you know, sustaining the operation uh, to where it's paying for itself and you're providing for your family. That's the main goal. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's a win-win. Um, you know, that's, we're, we're, we're pretty much in the same boat. You know, we, we just want clean meat that we can produce ourselves. If we could sell rabbits, great to kind of pay. F- I mean, free meat sounds great. Um, you've got quite, you know, you've got a, not a huge rabbit tree, obviously, but it's, you know, bigger than certainly anything I anticipate having in, in the near term. But you mentioned that you only put about half an hour a day into that operation. That's that's pretty good return if it's providing. How I mean, how much meat are you you all be able to put back? Well, if we we dedicate certain rabbits uh, just for our production, and you know, a lot of folks will stick with pure rabbits, purebred lines, and that's a great strategy because it's much easier to sell rabbits too, because people are always breeding rabbits for different reasons. They're buying rabbits for different reasons, uh, for shows, for, for pets, uh, for, you know, meat productions, the list goes on and on. But what, you know, we, we dedicate certain rabbits just for our production. And we always, we, most cases are crossbreeding because when you crossbreed two purebreds, your offspring will inherit the hybrid vigor, your grow outs will be faster, your rabbits will just be uh, healthier in general. And that's, that's ideal for a meat production. Not but in event being that you sales are slow in the beginning, purebred New Zealand's are going to taste just as good. Purebred Californians taste just as good. It's just um, they won't have that hybrid vigor, but they're still the number one and number two rabbit for meat productions. But you can get one Sorry, to get back to your question, the, the number one, uh, I'm sorry, one doe will produce approximately 100 pounds of meat. So if you have two does, which we have a couple does, we're getting a, approximately 200 pounds of rabbit meat 
per year because we're kindling four litters at least per rabbit, uh, you know, four times a year. So if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, that, that does. That's, that's a lot of meat. Um, you know, one of the things that my focus here on the podcast is, like I said, you know, homesteading, raising your own food. I know, I know a lot of people can feel pretty limited, you know, by the fact that they may not have a lot of land. Um, you know, I, I really think that rabbits are the perfect fit for those situations where space is an issue. Uh, how big is your property? Uh, we only have a couple acres. Uh, we, we live out in a rural area in Bath, Michigan, and really everyone around us, um, we kind of have two acre sections, five acre sections. My neighbor uh, has 10 acres, um, but we're all backed up to public land. We live near uh, the Rose Lake Research Center. So there's a lot of state land around here. And, and I'm really happy to say that all, all my, all my neighbors are just salty of the earth, great people. And they're all into the same things. We have right behind me, you know, goats and, and chicken farms. Uh, my neighbor across me is he boards horses. It's just a great area, but it doesn't take, especially with rabbits, it does not take a lot of space uh, to, to far or to raise, to have your own production with rabbits. They're one of the best livestock animals when it comes to small spaces. I mean, you really can have a, a terrific production on a quarter acre, even an eighth of an acre, because it doesn't take up a lot of space. The three cages, not to mention, they don't need to graze. They don't need to, uh, you know, they're not going to howl at the moon or any of that kind of stuff. So you don't have to worry about disturbing your neighbors or, or any of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can, you can, you can get a lot done on a, on a very small space. Well, they, I know for a lot of people live in like an HOA where there's, or, or in, you know, in town where there's rules on livestock, but typically rabbits don't fall under, that classification they're usually classified as a pet so that makes it a pretty good option for people in those situations right yeah yeah that's great and, and that's important too you should always uh contact your your county find out what the regulations are that way you don't set up or invest too much and then you know if you have a neighbor that doesn't like the whole thing um you know may maybe on the other side of the tracks when it comes to the opinion of, of farming or raising your own animals and it, that could be trouble you could end up costing yourself a lot of time and money. So that's always the smart thing is find out your regulations first. But when it comes to rabbits, you know, you, you could, you boy, you could get away with it for years before anybody even uh, knew what the heck you were doing because it's, it's a, it's such a quiet private thing in your backyard. That's your area. And uh, they're not going to, there's not going to be really any trouble or indicators to your neighbors that you even, it's not like they're going to cockadoodle do or anything like that. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously they're good for, for smaller spaces, but I read somewhere and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I know that they have a really good feed, um, f what feed conversion ratio, I believe it's called. So yeah. What, 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 how does that compare to say like beef cattle? Well, if I were to if I were to compare it more to like a chicken, only because chickens are right around the same size, a chicken is a two to one feed uh, feed to beet ratio, and that's that's terrific. I mean, and, and some farmers are are beating that; they're getting down to like one point seven and that sort of thing. With rabbits, it's a, they're not quite there. It's more of a four to one, but 
um, the, the meat is terrific and the, the processing is so much easier and you're really giving up for what you're getting. It's still, uh, it's still a really terrific competitor. And if you were to ask me, of course, I'm a little biased, but I would rather farm rabbits any day. We also have chickens on our property, but, um, I don't enjoy them nearly as much as I do my rabbits, but the, the, yeah, it's about double that, but you know, in, in the rabbit's defense and the, in the rabbit production, has never had the benefits of a geneticist working the way they did with, with chickens. Um, there, a lot more has been put into the, the chicken market, especially over the last, uh, you know, however long the, the production has been up in, in America. So, but boy, what, who knows what they could do with rabbits because they're just so lean without even anything. So they're they're definitely a leaner meat, but is there? I mean, are there other benefits nutritionally, say, to rabbit meat over like a chicken or beef? Well, the one benefit over beef is you can feed a cow the same amount of feed as you could feed a rabbit, and you're going to get I can't remember what it five or six times as many or as much this the same amount of they're going to produce one pound. The same amount, if you feed the same amount to your rabbit, it's going to produce five times as much, that sort of wow. thing. And, and it, it's just an amazing animal. Um, not to mention, they're able to reproduce the gestations only 32 days. So that's, that's what's so amazing is how you can take one, one rabbit and get s- such a terrific production just from one rabbit. Yeah, no, that's. That's definitely what's drawing us in. You know, we have a little pasture and we'll put some larger animals out there. But um, yeah, we're, we just, we wanted to get started right away with rabbits because it does seem, seems pretty approachable and space wise. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's next to nothing. I guess, you know, one question I have, it seems like there's a lot of real positives and advantages and benefits to raising rabbits. But like you said, all this research has been into chicken, obviously. I mean, the average American eats, you know, way more chicken than whatever the rabbit is. I don't know what the stats are, but what do you think are some of the reasons that rabbit is in a more popular uh, meat source for Americans, we'll say? Boy, good question. Um, You know, it it definitely, I could say it doesn't help that the rabbits are incredibly cute. I mean, uh, everybody loves petting and holding a little bunny. And, uh, you know, I mean, even though you can raise up your rabbits and even though pellet costs what it does, you can still raise your rabbits to where right approximately where it's about a pound, about a dollar a pound after you raise out your rabbits. And if, and of course, if that's what you're, you're raising them out to about 10 to 12 weeks and you're harvesting around three months, that sort of thing, you can get your, your prices or your costs down to about a dollar a pound. But, Regardless, even if they are quiet and they're, uh, you know, easy to produce and and they have all these strengths, people still have trouble getting over their cuteness. And and that the hardest part about raising rabbits is that dispatch, that dispatch. I tell you what, so many folks call me and say, boy, you know what? We have invested so much time and money and we realize now that we can't do it. We can't, we can't dispatch these rabbits. Will you take these rabbits? Do you know anybody that will? And I get that call all the time. And my heart goes out to those people. Yeah. Because I feel for those people because they, they had such a great idea 
And it's because society, we've gotten so far away from what was natural. Everybody farmed, my family, my uncles, my grandpa, you know, he had 80 acres in Beaverton. And, uh, you know, just to, to sit there and say that, you know, people, it's easy. Everybody's the same and we're all farmers and that's just not, it's not how it is. We're all different and not, it's not for everybody, but I do think it's possible if you make a decision and, and you concentrate on what the priority is, and that's providing your family with, with high quality meat, putting your family first. And yes, you got to choose your family over these rabbits and, and remember that these rabbits are food. These rabbits are to help your, your family uh, continue a healthy life. And, and it's, it's just a chore. It's a chore that nobody enjoys, but I tell you what, as soon as you, um, and it's a little bit easier for me because I've been doing it for years, but I remember, I remember when I, when, when the first day that I dispatched my first five rabbits from my, my first litter and, uh, it wasn't something that was easy. And I remember I would, I even, I think I did a video on it years ago. You know, I worked with my grandpa later that day and he told me, Hey, you know, you got to get over that. And, and just remember, it's a it's a job you got to get done. And it's it's funny too because as soon as you get done, well, not funny, but it's it's weird how when you as soon as the dispatch is over, and you start processing that animal, that that feeling goes away, and pretty soon, just like carrying water buckets out to the hutch, you you start whistling. Well, I catch myself whistling too as I'm starting to do that chore and get that rabbit done, and I and I put that rabbit in the water. It's just that dispatch. If you can just dispatch, find a way. There's several ways to humanely dispatch your rabbits. It will get easier. Yeah, it does get easier. I, I helped. I helped dispatch one or two rabbits probably ten years ago, um, and then I had a season in Oregon where I spent about two years where we 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 harvested quite a few birds: chickens, turkeys, ducks, and it did get easier. Um, at first, it was. Um, it, it it just it wasn't anything I was used to, and it was it was definitely a challenge. And you know you, you get I've learned not to get too attached and not to let you know my family get too attached and things like that. And you know, like you said, I think there's a for any animal you know that you it's it's finding that balance of giving them a good life. There's no reason you can't be their friend. You're still going to eat them and understanding why you're doing it. And it's, you know, like, I like the way you put it, you know, you're putting your family over the lives of those rabbits. And I always think, you know, they wouldn't be here if we weren't, we weren't going to eat them. They're living for that purpose. Um, so you've been, you've dispatched, how many birds do you think, or uh, rabbits do you think you've dispatched in your career in, in your rabbitry? Oh boy. I, I've lost count. Um, you know, boy, I've hundreds, comfortably hundreds of, you know, I, I don't know. I know we, we actually, over the last five, six years, the rabbitry has taken off and we're always going to have meat in the freezer. And if you're talking about, I don't know. Okay. Let's just go through it real quick. Your, your rabbit just gestation's 32 days. And then you, you have four weeks, you got your kits that are four weeks old. They're, Okay, so we're doing eight rabbits every three months. So, yeah, that's that's basically we're talking about a hundred pounds of meat. Uh, 
it's up there, you know, like a hundred rabbits a year at least. So, wow. So at so, this point, you've got a lot of experience doing it. You know, obviously when you first got started, there were some, there was some obstacles emotionally, mentally to get over, but it, tell me about a time maybe further along in that process when you maybe had a harder, harder time than normal slaughtering a particular rabbit. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, we had, a, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, coincidentally, we have a rabbit that's named Rachel. My wife's name is Rachel. And we have a rabbit that's named Bob. <laughs> My name's Bobby. Yep. And, uh, you know, Rachel was our best rabbit. And we had her on the, on the property for years. And we were crazy about her. You know, they all, your breeders will stay with you with over the years. And, and you, you know, I, I don't think it's nuts to, to name your breeders because they're going to be with you for years. And it's important to give them at least a number uh, because you're going to have a pedigree identification. So, you know, we kind of adopted this, this fun system where we name all our breeders after cast members of our favorite, favorite shows. And so, you know, first we went through uh, friends. My wife is crazy about the friends show. And then we went through all the cast members of the office and, and uh, you know, and now we're on to um, I think cheers from, from the eighties. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, you know, because your breeders will be with you for years, but the off the, the litters, you know, those are going to the freezer. Those are going to customers. Um, so, but those breeders, boy, once, once their jobs are done or once their bodies, you know, maybe they die of natural causes, um, I, I even had a hard time and this is silly for some, because I know my grandpa would make fun of me. Uh, he, well, he wouldn't make fun of me, but he'd say, what the heck are you talking about, Bobby? I, I, I couldn't even process. I couldn't even take the fur from Rachel. I didn't even want the fur. Uh, you know, we went ahead and buried it under a willow tree and that was my favorite to this day. That was my favorite rabbit. Wow. And she even has a rock out there by the willow tree back by the food plot. But, uh, but yeah, you do get attached and, and it's like, you know, we're human. And, and if these rabbits are producing for your family, you can't help but appreciate that. And I try to always make, you know, we're not monsters. That's what people make these, these um, pet organizations. I know their hearts are in, the right, are in the right place, but they think farmers are just monsters sometimes. And they just don't understand how it's such an honest way to live. And I, we're, 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 we're human beings and we do get attached even though that we're not supposed to. And I think I I've heard my uncle say, the older you get, the harder it is to dispatch. Hmm. And he, you know, if you go through this, this time where you, you know, you get better at it, you get easier with it, but then it gets to the point where, you know, I, my family, uh, my grandpa eventually stopped farming. He had every animal, you know, my, my uncle Ben, he had his own rabbitry business. He, he gave it up too. So, but that's not for everybody. Everybody's different. And, and, uh, you know, some people may pursue it for, for a lifetime, but, but yes, it is possible to get attached even when you shouldn't be. Yeah. I can see that just, we've had today's Saturday. So we've had our, um, Mr. Bun. That's what the kids have named him so far. I've got three little girls. Um, he's a big hit, you know, and, um, I really like him. I have never, um, I've never dealt with rabbits, uh, living anyway. And, um, yeah, he's super cool. We really like him, and I'm realizing, okay, he's going to be around for a while. It seems like you probably you kind of alluded to you you look at the at their offspring a little bit differently. They're a little bit more of a commodity. You know that they're going into the freezer or they're going to be sold. You don't get as attached, I assume. Um, how long? 
Is it about three years uh, that you can keep a breeder? Like, what's that time frame look like? Well, if you're <clears throat> if you're breeding on an intense an intense way, uh, which mean you know every because rabbits, I mean, heck, when when we're talking about wild rabbits, the rabbit can actually breed immediately if say it loses a litter you know you it's not going to hurt anything if you breed that rabbit within a day or two um you know wild rabbits will show us that i mean it's not even uncommon for rabbits to be bred between kits being born i mean they will be bred in most cases within a day or two from kindling that litter that's why a lot of people there's it's a big misconception that people think um you know they're out there touching these rabbits and the the mama rabbit didn't come back and it's because they you got your scent on them. Well, it's because those rabbits, those wild rabbits are a small breed. And, and a four-week-old rabbit is pretty small. So in most cases, those rabbits have been abandoned already because mama just left to have her next litter. Wow. So, so yeah, it's, and so it's, it's pretty amazing how, um, how these rabbits can reproduce. Uh, they will reproduce regularly. And it's not going to hurt anything. I mean, in most cases, bigger productions will wean their kits at an earlier age, like three weeks, because they're going to want to stretch it to get seven litters out of the year, where intense breeding is considered four litters a year. So that's when we're talking about, you know, 30, uh, 32 rabbits a year, 100 pounds of meat. And that's that's on the low end, too, because New Zealand's and Californians, you know, probably as well as I do, that they don't just have, even though they have eight to 10 nipples, they will still have 12 to 14, even more kits, you know, they, they will have some big litters. Yeah. And if you got those good moms, they'll find a way to nurse all those kits in that litter. You know, it doesn't always happen, but there, there's some really Californians and New Zealand's at least are terrific meat breeds. And so they, you can kindle, these rabbits can kindle with an intense breeding for at least two to three years, like you said. And before, you'll notice their numbers going down. And that's when you know, okay, maybe it's time to re, uh, maybe it's time to change out this doe because her numbers are going down and her, you know, she has about two, three years of uh, a window of really good production. But, you know, if, if you're not breeding them as often, you could really breed these rabbits until they die of natural causes. But it's when you're breeding them and getting the, a lot of litters out of them a year is when they, they burn out in about two to three years. Okay. And, and when you have a certain expectation for production and you're producing them at a higher level, it sounds like they, it kind of takes that, um, takes some of that vigor out of them. What's their natural life cycle or life uh, expectancy? Well, the, the medium breed rabbits are right around seven to 10 years in general. But if you have a different kind of production, like say if you were to even have a pet rabbit, pet rabbits are known to live as long as 14 years, kind of like a dog. You know, you, you take really good care of these, these animals. Um, they, may, they may surprise you and, and live, you know, 15, 15 years. But in other, in, in other cases, just depending on their environment, that could be different. Wow. So if you, if you were to retire, say you had a doe that was a great mother and she's starting to slow down and you've got your operation you're trying to run and you just didn't want, you just really loved her and you didn't want to eat her. You could sell her as a pet and she might live for quite a bit longer under more, uh, uh, under a, a less intensive management style or just as a pet being taken care of. Was that, was that a possibility? 
Yeah, yeah. We, you know, years ago, we actually tried putting our rabbits out to pasture. You've tr- tried just trying to, you know what, you've, you've uh, contributed to our family and I wanted to reward them. And I tried to build somewhat of a enclosed, safe, uh, open range area within this little black locust um, uh, flat with all these trees I had. But you know what happened? It wasn't too long before predators made their way. It didn't matter if it was from the air. We had hawks or we had uh, raccoons at night. I mean, their little hands are amazing. I mean, they can just bend and tear apart these cages. So we started just choosing to do exactly what you just mentioned. We we sell them as pets. We sell them as um, uh, a high-quality pet that is going to – that way we feel a little bit better about it. And we don't necessarily have to, and because when you have those older rabbits, those are roaster rabbits that you have to cook those and bake those in a certain way, um, like in the, in the crock pot or that sort of thing, because they're not going to be that tender meat that we all want anyway. So yeah, selling them as pets, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Cause I could see, and I think a lot of people, you know, who may be looking to get into this could probably see a similar problem coming down the road and you know it's one thing when you're you know those those kits are they're going they're going in the freezer but uh yeah you get you yes you spend a few years with an animal um maybe maybe because people will buy them as pets now so do you do you sell all of your breeders as pets when you retire them is that is that actually something that you do on the regular or yeah in most cases that's what that's what we're doing and you know what but not not all the time some people just they don't necessarily want a heavy duty production. You know, they're just starting out and they don't necessarily need to um, have the best possible rabbit. And they're, and, and you want to be transparent. You want to be, because especially, you know, if you're not providing good service, people will give you a call back. There's, there's Google reviews and, and you want to be the best rabbitry you possibly can be. And you want to be transparent. So you explain to these rabbits how old this rabbit is, what they can expect. And some folks are totally fine with that. They're like, Oh, you know what? We'll breed it. Maybe we'll breed it. And uh, those are the folks that you may end up selling that to not necessarily just as a pet. Got it. So nice. It's good to have that option. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, you had mentioned, and I know that a lot of people, you know, I've always heard that, you know, rabbits are prolific breeders. And so I think that has left the impression for me that it's really easy. And like you said, you know, you're doing 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening. But I'm wondering, like, what what are some of the more challenging aspects of raising rabbits? What are the things that maybe people wouldn't expect when they get started? Oh, good question. You know, we, we all hear that expression, uh, breed like rabbits, breed like rabbits. And, and, you know, that was an eye opener for me in the very beginning when I came across my first stubborn doe. And I didn't understand why the heck was she not cooperating? Why, why wasn't she doing what she was supposed to do? And you have these does from time to time, especially new does that don't lift. They just do not uh, they're not interested in the buck. They'll stick their nose right into the corner. And that is pretty much, I mean, next to frozen kits on the wire, that's about as bad as it gets in your rabbitry. That's one of the worst challenges you've got. So um, it's always good. That's where, where you get that that uh, expression or the, the name proven. When you have a proven rabbit, that means that's a lifter. So you know this rabbit will most likely accept a buck when he's trying to breed. So, you know, so Talk, as far as um, stubborn does go, there's different things that you can do. And we have videos 
uh, that try to show all the different things that you can do in order to get this this rabbit to lift. A lot of folks start out their rabbitry and they are really excited. They may even purchase their rabbits before they get their cage set up. So they have this fenced in kind of colony set up and then they get their cages and they say, well, we're going to tear that down. And I say, you know what? Keep that up because when you have stubborn does, a terrific tool is to, of course, you can always entertain, um, you know, cage swapping and, um, you know, trying to come back the very next day and, and always watching her vent, making sure that her vent is is pink or red or purple, the right colors that show that she is, uh, the hormones are, are ready and she's ready to breed. But there's other things like people try different crazy things like a car ride or it's like triggering like some sort of survival where she has to reproduce or letting them run in the pen. I actually prefer that. That's one of my favorites. I love uh, letting them run in the chicken coop or like we were just talking about one of those old colony setups that you never tore down because what will happen is uh, they may chase each other for a little bit, but eventually that, that dough that never, lifted or would always stick her nose in the cage, just that little change of scenery will get her to lift and then she'll start producing for your rabbitry. Another challenge is um, frozen kits. You know, I mean, rabbits are are prone to heat stroke. And, and even though summers are, in my opinion, probably the, the tougher or the, the, it's a tough season to get through with your rabbits because they're covered in fur. They can't sweat. And you'll just get out, you'll, you'll walk out your rabbitry and you'll see your rabbit on its side, just panting. And that's where the cage floor bottoms really come in handy because they're, they're able to get that airflow. And, you know, we do tons of different things as far as, you know, of course, we're always doing the frozen bottles to try to keep them comfortable, but we'll go even as far as running solar power to run uh, fans so they can sit in front of that fan. They can take a drink. We put it right by their water bowl so they can wet their face, their mouth, and they'll just, you see that that computer fan just blowing. And we have videos showing that as well, because it kind of gets a little confusing running solar power and a solar charge controller. But, but once I, I tried my best to lay it out and I'll probably do another video this summer, but heat stroke is a big deal. And it's funny because uh, the winter videos, even though your rabbit is built for the winter time, it's, it's easier to get your rabbits through the winter. And that video, those wintertime videos are the ones that really get the views but it's the summertime that I always recommend, you know, and it's, it's just weird how those videos don't really get a lot of attention because I think it, when it comes down to the person raising those rabbits, it's, it's the wintertime is tough on us. Right. Summertime is the comfortable time for us. We don't mind. We don't have frozen water. We don't have to, the spigot is still good. It's not frozen, you know, so maybe that's why those videos, but in the wintertime, the biggest challenge is those frozen kits. Okay. Those frozen kits getting pulled because it's it's not anything that you do wrong. It's just a it's a kind of a crapshoot deal if if mama can actually shake those kits off her teat before she jumps out of the nesting box. Because sometimes they're just they that milk is so good they want to hold on to mama and she'll she'll accidentally pull them out of the nesting box. And rabbits instincts, you know, they're not like a lion where they'll grab their their kit by the the scruff and carry it around her instinct is to stay away from the nest because rabbits don't want to cause or draw any attention to their, where their nest is. You know, in most cases, wild rabbits are burying their, their litters. And if they're, if a kit makes her way out of that litter or out of that little uh, hole, she will not, she will do whatever she can to draw attention away from that, that litter. So it's not her instinct to do anything with that kit. And that kit sadly will just expire on that cage floor bottom. 
Hmm. So that, so that's a big challenge. And that was why um, after de- dealing with that for years, that was why we incorporated the tote system. Okay. Um, so is that something that once, once you have a doe that's doing that, do they, do they learn? Do they improve? Can you rehabilitate that? Or is that kind of a sign that you just have kind of a bad mother? Well, you know, as far as kits being pulled out of the nesting box, um, it's, it's pretty random. You know, I, I don't really notice, you know, certain kits doing it all the time. You know, you may run into trouble with kits, um, you know, trampling their, I'm sorry, rabbit, mama rabbits trampling their kits, or, um, you know, sometimes you hear these stories. I always recommend rabbit Facebook groups. Rabbit Facebook groups are an incredible resource because thousands and thousands of people are raising rabbits and sharing their experiences all over the world. But the bad part about that is it'll scare the heck out of you because you, you hear and see or read all these horrible things and you're in, and these people going in mean, rabbits in general are pretty hardy, right? They're pretty healthy. And most of the time you're going to have a, a great production and you won't have these challenges. But if you do, that's when I recommend um, someone, you know, joining these groups and typing in, posting your question or your experiences. And there's so many helpful people. And I, I'm, I'm part of all those, those groups as well. And there's, there's always people ready in, in, in just, it only takes a matter of minutes where you're going to get all these people trying to help nice. and share their experiences. Yeah. But um, you know, in most cases, kits being pulled out of the nesting box. Um, it's easier in the spring, summer, and fall, but in the winter time, um, it's just good to, to try to make at least a couple of visits out to the, the nest to make sure the litter's positioned to the back. And if you see kits being pulled out of the nesting box frequently, you may want to entertain the idea of, of taking a look at that nesting box, maybe even getting or building a different one because it's important that those are the right size. Your rabbits do need a couple inch, inches of clearance all around that rabbit so she can get in there, maneuver, feed her rabbits um, without accidentally crushing or pulling them out of the nesting box. Okay. And now if you go out there and you find a, a, a live kit on the floor, can you put it back in? Will she accept it? Absolutely. Yeah. It, that's a, that's a great thing to do t- because the cluster is a hundred degrees. It'll stay a hundred degrees. And it's, it's amazing how these kits are just fine in zero degree temperatures because that cluster is just, it's cooking. It's so hot. You can put your hand over the, the rabbit cluster and feel the heat. And in the summertime, you're a good mama rabbit will actually pull the fur away from the kit, uh, the, the litter just to vent that litter. But in the summertime, or I'm sorry, rather the wintertime, uh, the, the mama will do just the opposite. She'll even pull more fur if she has to, to keep that litter warm. But if you ever have a, a kit on the, if it's still living, absolutely. Even if it's, it's, it feels a little cold still, the best thing is to just put it right back in the middle of that cluster and warm it right back up. And in most cases, you're going to save that kid's life. Okay. That's good to know for sure. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about food. Um, you know, I, what I've got, I've got some, uh, some rabbit pellets. I think they're 16% protein. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure um, I've got some hay. Um, what, what, what do we feed our rabbits? What do you feed your rabbits? Well, I feed, I'm always feeding 
rabbit pellet, 16% protein. Um, that's a terrific choice. That's sufficient to raise rabbits on, um, juniors, seniors, uh, nursing does. Um, but you know, when it comes to show rabbits, um, you know, a lot of people think that they just need to, sh- to feed their rabbits. And again, I'm not an expert. This is just what works for me. Uh, there's a lot of people raising rabbits in different ways that have different needs. But, you know, that 18% protein really is going to help your rabbits with its coat, with with um, getting your rabbits ready for show. And um, when it comes to lactation, that's why a lot of people also use 18%. Um, it's really not so much the protein, it's the high fat content. So you can always supplement your 16% your 16% protein rabbit pellet with a higher fat content with black oils or sunflower seeds, boss, or uh, uh, my favorite is the grains, the whole oats. Whole oats is a terrific choice. And we usually give a punch of, of whole oats to all our nursing does three times a week. And we'll just put it on a, a board. But pellet is getting more and more expensive. It's, it's almost doubled in price since we started raising our rabbits. And it's really, um, it's, it's very, it's a bummer. And yeah. <laughs> everybody doesn't want to keep filling their shed and their garage up with these bags right. of pellet. And there's other ways of, around that. You know, there's terrific, there's a terrific book um, that there, there's lots of books out there. So I don't know if I should just plug just one, but there's books out there that, um, and we have a lot of books on our website uh, that offer information. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Beyond the Pellet. I hope you don't mind me plugging that. Please do. I, I yeah, write it absolutely. I, I have nothing to do with no, it. Any, okay. Anything you want yeah, to share, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Rick, Rick Warden from Rise and Shine Rabbitry. He, uh, years ago, um, I was reading um, some articles that were online. And this guy is, he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to rabbit recipes and growing food for your rabbits. He has a green thumb. Not everybody's willing to grow as much as he does, but that I would recommend that is like the go-to guy for growing your own food for rabbits. He's the one that got me uh, started on comfrey and willow. And and these are things that are incredibly easy to grow and beneficial for your rabbits. You know, it's, it's going to help, uh, it's going to help your rabbits stay healthy and thrive. And uh, especially if I were to recommend two very important plants is comfrey, a Russian comfrey. And because what's so great about that is the more you cut it, the more it just keeps growing back. And so, and you can start easily start a raised bed of comfrey uh, just with some seeds off Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, this time next year, you could have a nice bed of food and you can feed comfrey. Heck, you could feed comfrey every, you know, every other day. Um, now it is, you know, always be cautious when you're feeding greens, because anytime you feed greens, it, it can all, it can also soften their, their manure. And when you have, it could also cause diarrhea with younger rabbits. Um, too much of it, too much of a good thing, you know, is always bad. So right. or sometimes bad. So, you know, you want to watch that. If you ever turn your, your rabbit over and, and they have muddy butt or something, you want to just stick to hay and pellet until things go back to normal. But uh, so comfrey is probably the number one. And then uh, a close number two is, is willow. You know, you can do um, a willow hy- a hybrid bush um, from, uh, God, what is it? I, I'm drawing a blank now. I want to say it's um, it's a vineyard in New York. We just purchased 50 of these hedges. Doggone it. I should have had this ready for you. Um, 
you know what? I'll, I'll email it to you. Maybe you can post it on yeah. this, this uh, podcast. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a willow. It's a willow hybrid bush that grows back. It's just like your weeping willows, but it's a bush and it grows really fast. It's really, uh, it's really vibrant. It thrives really easily in a lot of different zones. And um, it is just a terrific food, something that you can feed to your young rabbits, your older rabbits, and it's something you could feed every day. And, and anytime you're supplementing your feed like that, you're going to be spending less money, you're saving money, and that's making money on your on your rabbit pellet, your feed. You know, that's why I always recommend, um, you know, making sure you're showcasing your rabbits in some way, because you don't want to have to pay for that pellet. But it's always important to feed, in my opinion, it's always important to feed a little pellet because life life happens, things take over. Sometimes you know you may get injured, or you may want a vacation, and not everybody will know what to feed that rabbit. They they can't go out to the garden and start tearing everything they're supposed to because you happen to break your leg or something. So, if you had to, you could always fall back on pellet and and continue to make sure your rabbits are fed and they get what they need. Because the pellet, it, it may be inconvenient, it may be expensive. Or I'm sorry, not inconvenient. It's actually convenient. Right. It's a balanced, nutritious diet for your rabbit. It's everything they need, but it's expensive, and uh, but it's but it's a terrific tool, and I think it's necessary. So, but not everybody wants to spend the rest of their their rabbitry career just feeding pellet, and I, I don't actually recommend that because there's a lot of good food out there. So comfrey, willow. Uh, you can grow, I mean, and then just in your yard too. I mean, everybody has dandelion. Everybody has, uh, well, and I guess if you're, some lawns are better than others. <laughs> Not everybody has my my lawn out there. I'm the, I'm the crazy guy, you know, tr- trying to, I'm always arguing with my, not argue with my wife, but she wants me to treat the lawn. She wants right. me to spray it with cutter, get rid of the mosquitoes, get rid of, you know, and I said, oh, I can't do that because I need the dandelions. I need the, you know, all the weeds yeah. for the rabbits. Yeah, the plant, plantain. plantain. Yep. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah the those, same way. those are terrific. So, yep, there's a lot of good options. So, I guess you you mentioned in the book, it is Beyond the Pellet. Is that the one you were mentioning? Yeah, Beyond the Pellet. It, it is just, I mean, you, that guy, uh, Rick Warden, and I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember the other guy who co authored it, but it's Rise and Shine Rabbitry. And if you are looking for, for recipes, um, I, I really, I really got to give that guy a shout out because I've for years I've gotten on his website and used um, used different recipes that uh, he's got. I mean, he has so many on there. Not to mention um, tons of great advice about raising rabbits too. So okay. Um, so as far as you know, one of the concerns that I have, and I know probably a lot of people that listen to the show have, is is food availability. You know, I mean, we're seeing a lot of uh, challenges to, um, you know, supply lines, there's fertilizer issues, there's weather, weather problems. And I, I don't think it's um, an unrealistic expectation that we could see interruptions in, in grain as far as getting to animal feed. I could see a scenario where, you know, as grain tightens in supply for a period of time, that a lot of that grain could actually be, um, redirected into to human consumption, and that could have multiple effects. It could a there could be a supply limitation, but also it could become you know kind of cost prohibitive to to source some of that feed. And I know you know we've talked a little bit about pellets, and they are definitely amazing. But 
what I guess what 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 reality is there to being able to maintain a even just a base rabbitry for meat for self production without without a feed store without bags of feed that you can go and pick up and like what 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 would you say to that? That's a great question because uh, you know I, I get a lot of questions about this because we put we we have a couple of videos on YouTube talking about feed and I stress about the pellet. And, you know, you normally, you can't really explain everything in eight minutes or the, the approximate time for your video on YouTube. So, um, so when it comes to feeding rabbits, especially when, uh, you're, you're picking up your rabbits and you're bringing them home for the first time, you, you absolutely want to ask the breeder, what is the rabbit eating? Because in the beginning, when you're making that transition from a feeding off grid, you, it, it's, it's a per- you want to proportionately add more of what you want and less of what you don't want over time because you don't want any negative effects and rabbits stomachs are very sensitive, but they can absolutely be raised on your, the feed that you grow. And then this is how a lot of folks are doing it. And, but it's just that transition that you need to strategically go about it because if you give too much too soon, there's so much water and greens and a lot of the greens that you're feeding that they could get dehydrated through diarrhea and eventually uh, you could lose the rabbit. So, but that's worst case scenario. So, but any pellet, you know, a lot of folks don't even realize why, how beneficial that pellet is. It's an expensive convenience, but there's even a small amount of teramycin in it, which is an antibiotic to fight small infections or anything that could be uh, so just, you know, you're going to raise your rabbits with big litters, fast grow outs. And that's why producers or rabbit breeders use pellet so they can maintain these big litters and, uh, you know, fill these reservations. But so that's maybe the only thing you'll experience when you're feeding your rabbits yourself is maybe a slower grow out rate or maybe, you know, just not as many rabbits in a litter. But when, when it comes to feeding, you know, rabbits eat a lot of hay and that's something that you can absolutely grow. It's just grass. And, and there's lots of different kinds of grass. You know, there's, there's Timothy, there's orchard, there's Bermuda, there's rye, there's bluegrass, all this stuff. You can buy the seed from a, a local elevator. You can, you know, pick out, designate an area in your yard that gets full sun and, you know, fence it off, rope it off and, and grow some hay. You can get yourself a scythe and scythe is a weird word. I, I don't think anything rhymes with scythe. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, you know, if, if folks aren't familiar, it's that big blade that the Grim Reaper holds onto. And he's, and that's what we use to harvest our own grass. And it's, it's a terrific workout. It's pretty laborious, but it's, it's a, it's a great way. You can literally do this. You can harvest your own, dry your own and, and bale your own hay. So, and as far as like growing another plot, so you got your hay plot, you can go out and get yourself a food plot seed, really walking into any hunting aisle or like a big box store, you go into the hunting aisle, you grab yourself a bag of food plot seed, you have some clover or some, even some buckwheat or some alfalfa, all that stuff. Uh, you know, clover is a perennial, alfalfa is a perennial. So you're planting it once, it's going to keep coming back every year, uh, buckwheat is an annual. So you'd have to plant that, but it's, you can cut that and make hay out of buckwheat. All three of those are pollinators. So you're going to benefit, you're going to have beneficial insects. You're going to be able to, um, if there's any beekeepers out there, you're going to be able to feed the bees 
you're also going to be able to feed the rabbits. If you're deer hunting, you're also going to be able to feed the deer. Deer eat all this stuff. So, so you got your food plots and even into the fall, even into the wintertime, if you're still doing, uh, you know, food plots for deer, you can tear off leaves from your brassica blends. You can tear off uh, even those turnips, even your winter oats and beans and uh, peas. All that stuff can go to your rabbits. You can also dry that stuff for over the wintertime. You can put it in boxes, put it in totes. So that's your feed for the wintertime. You can grow, if you don't want to do a food plot, you can grow raised beds. You can just do a, a, a big, giant, a big giant white clover raised bed. Same thing with buckwheat. Jason, I know you and I previously talked about comfrey. And, and uh, I, I know you're aware of comfrey because I listened to you, to one of your podcasts where you got where you had that gentleman on there talking about herbs. Mm-hmm. And he talked about even how beneficial it is for humans to eat comfrey. It's an anti-inflammatory. It helps... Uh, and, and with your rabbits, it's, it helps with coccidiosis. I mean, that's that's something that's a big problem with rabbits when it comes to uh, just keeping them healthy. So comfrey is a terrific food to raise in a, in a raised bed. And it's, it's a pollinator as well. It's a perennial. So it's going to come back every year. And uh, also, we have years ago, we bought weeping willow trees. Now, they're they're a little bit expensive. They're not you know, like a $20 tree. I think we spent, I think it was about 70 bucks in our area for a weeping willow tree. But if you plant those and you kind of plant them on a a slant and the, the, the trunk is so soft, you can kind of bend it where you're able to tear these clippings and these willow branches for years before it turns into that, you know, big monster tree. But we have three of them. And what's cool about weeping willows is they're not just amazing food for your rabbits. They're easy to clone. You can take these clippings and put them in a bottle of water and they will start to root. You throw them in a, in a pot, you're selling them when you're, when you're selling rabbits and you're selling trios. You know, we're, we're getting to the point now where we have harvesting tools, we have weeping willow trees, we have uh, honey sitting on the table. You know, we're selling all sorts of stuff when on the same day that we're selling rabbits. So that's just another thing that you could add to your property in event being that you were selling stuff. But, and then they sell, um, I know you and I talked about willow shrub. You can find willow shrub, which is fast growing. It's disease resistant. And that's a terrific food, maybe even the best food that you can plant for your rabbits because it's just abundant. It grows. You can basically grow a whole privacy line of willow, willow shrub. So, um, and then in the wintertime, uh, you can always grow fodder. We have a video on YouTube showing how we grow fodder in the wintertime, and that just provides some greens for your rabbits. Um, there's just lots of different ways to provide food. And even if you're a gardener, if you have uh, your own garden plot or old raised beds, all those tearings, you can fill up the wheelbarrow and always take your, your tearings from the garden to your rabbits that's going to be terrific food. And let's not forget the yard. As long as you're not spraying uh, a mosquito repellent or like a cutter on your yard, where you, it's full of plantain, it's full of dandelion. Well, at least my yard is. And uh, yeah, mine you know, too. Those are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those are all good rabbit food. So, wow. It, what I hear, and this gets me pretty excited, I hear. I hear a lot of stacked functions. I hear a lot of multi-use. I hear a lot of, um, I mean, for example, the willow shrub, you know, I do have some areas I'd like to plant that would just 
kind of block the view from the road on my property. I love that that would also then provide a one of the better feeds that you mentioned for rabbits or you know uh, talking about comfrey how it helps with uh coccidiosis if i said that right and uh it's also helpful for humans and it's high in protein and um you know the food plots are are great for for deer for pollinators they're great for your rabbits uh, i would imagine i would imagine as well most of this will cross over into to chickens as well and other you know small and maybe even larger farm animals so that that's that's what gets me excited you know i i love the pellet i love i love the the layer feed um but i also you know part of part of my perspective is just trying to be able to be prepared for you know what if what if that didn't happen you know i know if if everybody is completely dependent upon these systems and that's how they're going to live out and maintain their their food supply. Well, they're going to have an advantage over those who aren't producing food. Um, but to a certain point, they are going to run out of those inputs. Um, so I think it's important that we all think about that. So I know that, you know, I found you on YouTube and I definitely, you know, I love your videos. They're, they're not, they're, they're just sometimes... I have some content creators I love, but their videos are a little long for me and I don't have a ton of time. And um, I love that you kind of, you can put so much great information into a bite-sized piece that, you know, I don't have to watch in multiple pieces. Um, you know, I can learn a lot from one and, and you've got so many different topics. It's great, but where else, I mean, where else can folks kind of connect with you online? Well, uh, first off, thank you for, for saying that. Appreciate that. Um, we're on all those social medias, you know, with the, with the TikToks and the Facebooks and the, and the Instagrams. Um, but, you know, we're mostly on YouTube uh, trying to answer comments regarding, you know, with, with videos that we're launching and stuff. But uh, we do have a website, therabbitrycenter.com. Uh, we have lots of information on that. Um, we also have uh, a storefront that we're really proud of that it's dedicated to helping folks raise their rabbits. Um, everything from building cages to building your hutch. To, to tools that will help you from your day-to-day chores. Um, but if anybody ever wanted to reach out, uh, you can get on any YouTube video as well as into the description. It has all information or contact information. Um, you can leave any comment and it will go right to this main list of comments and I'll try to communicate with you the best I can. There's a lot of them coming in. So I try to address them all. Sometimes a few comments will get lost just because they stack up if I don't get to them uh, every day. Um, but you can always reach out on our website, uh, trcrabbits at yahoo.com um, or uh, our, our website or the, the YouTube, any one of those. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't already, definitely check out his videos. And um, and yeah, I mean, Bobby's Bobby's definitely got a lot of great content. I've learned a ton and will continue to use him as a resource going forward as I enter the world of, of rabbit raising. So um <laughs> Well, thanks, Bobby. It's been uh, it's been really great talking with you. I know I've learned a ton. I'm excited to start um, excited to start using some of this and get just get started with it. I'm I'm uh, it's kind of one of those things, you know. Just learn as you go. And luckily, you know, we live in an age where you know, we have access to folks like you who, you know, we could just with a click of a a button have you know any really any answer or any question answered. Um, so. I appreciate it. Um, definitely fun talking with you, and um, maybe we'll have to do it again sometime in the future. Sounds good. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. That was my conversation with Bobby Jimenez. 
of the Rabbitry Center YouTube channel and website. I hope you learned something from that. I know I sure did. Um, certainly a lot more to learn. Um, but yeah, if you're if if you're looking to learn about meat rabbits and dig a little bit deeper, and really any question you can possibly have, he's got a video on it. And as I mentioned in our in our interview, you know his his, his videos are um, they're topical, and they're not too long, and they're pretty entertaining, and they're definitely informative. So I, I highly recommend his channel for that. And um, I wanted to mention as well, he did email me after the interview and told me about the um, the willow shrub that he had mentioned is from Double A Vineyards. You can find them online, um, you know, not affiliated with them at all. But if you're looking to pick up that willow shrub cutting and, you know, use it as a, a privacy hedge, windbreak, and a, uh, a pretty cool animal feed, rabbit feed, uh, definitely check them out. And as far as uh, what you can do to support the show, definitely share. If you know somebody who is interested in uh, getting started with rabbits, maybe has some questions, um, definitely share share the episode, share the show, subscribe if you have not already. Leave us a five-star rating and review. That goes a very long way in helping us get the show out there. And that's going to just about do it, folks. So again, thank you for being here with me this week. And this is Jason signing off, reminding you to do something today to improve your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead, head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com. 